Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. Today, Pastor Jason is in Acts chapter 9, looking at verses 26 through 31, in his sermon entitled, From Fear to Fellowship. We're still in a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. This is part 36. Here's Jason. And good morning, and happy Father's Day to all of you who, like me, are our fathers. As I've been considering this day, you know, it's tough being a dad, isn't it? I, I, I'd say in, in, in so many ways, it's a lot kind of like being a preacher. Because you know what happens week after week after week is Sunday always comes. <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm called upon to, to bring the word. And, and, and you know what happens day after day after day with our children? We're, we're called upon to love them as dads. We're called upon to provide for our family, to love our wives. And I think some answers to questions that I'm sure you have as, as I have as a dad. And how can I do this? How can I do this day in and day out? No doubt you're like me. You don't just want to be a, a decent dad. You don't want to be a normal dad. You want to be a great dad. You want to have a profound influence and impact on your children's lives. And, and thank you, Howie, for, for taking us to the Word in Ephesians. Psalm 103.13 says this, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to who? To those who fear Him. That is what we need. We need a good, healthy dose as fathers of the fear of the Lord. We need a higher view of God so that we might walk with Him more closely, that we might depend upon Him more fully in the way that we raise our kids. And this happens only as we spend time in the Word of God and as the Word of God teaches us more and more about our wonderful God. So rather than starting out this morning in, in, in some sort of antidote and story from, from our village in Siawi, which I, I'm sure I could have come up with, well, I, I did have some actually, <laughs> about fathers in, in our village. But I, I kept coming back to the fact, the Lord kept saying, no, just bring the word this morning. And so that's what I want to do. So open again to, to Acts chapter 9. And, and we are going to see... From fear to fellowship, that is what happens in, in this church in Jerusalem. But I want to take us all the way back to beginning, to the beginning verse of chapter 9 and read all the way through to 31 for us to see the impact, the significance of what happens to this man Saul. Because think about it. Up to this point in the book of Acts, we have, we have seen this highlighted, that highlighted, but, but Luke has never stopped and actually given us this much detail into something. And now he goes into this great detail about just this one man and, and, and really the start of his salvation story. 
And why is that? Well, because it's important for what the Lord is going to do in him. And I think as fathers today, this should encourage us. This should challenge us. In fact, everyone here should be challenged by what is presented in the word of God because we see how great salvation is. That the gospel can come and it can transform someone like Saul and it certainly can transform someone like you and like me. So starting in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, we'll go all the way to all the way through to 31 where we're going to finish today looking at 26 to 31. Which reads, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they they brought him into Damascus and he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues saying, he is the son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And so now we get to the text that we will be looking at today. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. 
And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for your wonderful grace, your wonderful grace that is so vividly displayed for us in the pages of Scripture, particularly in Acts chapter 9. We thank you for the work that you did in Saul's heart and Saul's life. Lord, we pray that you would write these things upon our hearts, that we would walk with you the way that Saul walked with you, the way that the early church walked with you. The things that mattered to them would matter to us. So write your word upon our hearts this morning and allow your Holy Spirit to be the teacher, to be the guide this morning and set me aside. For it's in the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior, that we pray. Amen. So you might be thinking as as we read through this almost nearly entire chapter of chapter 9, why would Luke spend an entire chapter on the salvation of one man? And I believe it's to reveal to us what matters. How belief in Jesus Christ changes everything. To remind us of the important things. How when Saul was saved, we, we see these, these things that become the, the foundations of who he is. The very fiber of his spiritual walk with the Lord. We see prayer. We see fellowship with believers. We see being controlled by the Spirit. And today, is, as we look at this next section... The, the continuation of the story of Saul, of him going from Damascus now to Jerusalem, we're going to see that, that what happens in Jerusalem is, is very much like what we saw last week in Damascus. We're, we're going to see first that, that the way that others respond to Saul is, is, is in fear and doubt. Just as Ananias was like, whoa, no, what, wait, what do you mean? I've heard about this guy. I, I don't want to go to him. He's going to do something to me. And now in Jerusalem, we see the same thing. That, that the body will be in, in, in fear and doubt. We, we also see that just as he did in Damascus, what is Saul doing? He is preaching Christ boldly at every turn. And we see that as a result, he faces threat and even death. Just as he did in Damascus. And, and finally, we're, we're going to see just as in Damascus, he was able to escape, that we will see that the Lord guides him, leads him and allows him to escape here as well. And really what, what we see for, for all of us are snapshots into this, the life of Saul, into his spiritual life. That, that you and I as dads in particular on Father's Day, we need to grasp the significance of these things that matter to Saul, that they would become significant to us as well as to all of us here this morning. And what we're going to see first is that he was committed to the church. He was committed to fellowship with believers. And, and that's clear in verses 26 and 27. 
We're also going to see that, that he was only content when or if he was sharing Christ. That that's what he was all about. And for him not to be sharing Christ was something that would bring shame to him. And we'll see that in verse 28. We will see that, that he keeps going in spite of hardships. And that becomes clear in 29 and 30. And, and finally, we'll see that he was constantly growing in his relationship with the Lord. Verse 31, just as the early church here continued to increase, Saul too spiritually continued to grow and grow. But what is the first thing that we see from this man? From, from this man who would become the greatest missionary that the church has ever seen. We see that he is committed to the church and to fellowship with believers. Look at verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was indeed a disciple. So we see the progression, right? We saw last week he was in Damascus. We saw that he leaves Damascus, goes to Arabia for some three years. Then he comes back to Damascus, preaches and preaches and preaches to such an extent that finally they want to kill him. They're guarding the the gates into the city and they lower him at night in a basket and he escapes. And where does he come next? He comes here to Jerusalem. We have to remember that that for Saul, Jerusalem would be like Temecula for many of you that have grown up here. This was home for him. Okay, yes, he, he, he is from Tarsus, but he left Tarsus, comes to Jerusalem in order to pursue his studies. And so he sits under the teaching of Gamaliel for years and years and years. And so this is home for him. So in a sense, he is returning home. But we have to remember what he looked like before in Jerusalem. He looks nothing like how he is now. For before in Jerusalem, he was a key official. We, we saw this in the stoning of Stephen. That he was a leader in the synagogues. He was a leader in Judaism. And that it was through him that, that this major opposition started and was pushed towards the church of Christ. That not only did he start it, but he actually pushed it. And he's the one that lit the fire. And he was going from house to house looking for believers. And no doubt he had inflicted so much harm and destruction in Jerusalem that he thought he was done. And that's why he, he goes and he leaves Jerusalem. And he knows that, that as he's traveling... That what he is going to do when he gets to Damascus is to destroy more Christians. And yet the Lord totally changes everything. And now as he comes back to Jerusalem, he's a different man. Now he's a spokesman for Christ. But maybe like you, you're wondering, well, why Jerusalem? And I believe the reason is because this is the starting point of Christ's church, right? This is where Jesus said this would start, where his church would start, and from here it would go off out into the uttermost parts of the earth. And we see with Saul that this is his starting point for his ministry. Long before he becomes a missionary on one of his missionary journeys, he's already doing this work here. And and we see this in Romans chapter 15, verses 18 to 19, where it says this. The Apostle Paul says this, speaking of himself, 
For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, and the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit, that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Elikram, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Do you see where he says his starting point is? From Jerusalem, that's where everything begins for Saul. This is where everything begins as he comes back here. But we're told so much more than that where his ministry began. We're told how he started this ministry, how he comes back to Jerusalem and what he does. As it, it says that, that he comes and, and the whole reason why he comes to Jerusalem in, in some part is for the fellowship of believers. Of all the things that he could start off doing right when he comes in Jerusalem, notice what he does. Rather than going right into preaching, right into debating, he tries to associate with the disciples, with fellow followers of Christ. And the idea here behind the, the trying is to do something over and over again. And in the Greek, it's even more than that. It's a continual action. This isn't something that, that Saul tried one day, then gave up. He said, oh, that church just isn't for me. He kept coming over and over again, trying to be brought into fellowship with the believers, with the disciples. And, and this word associate, it's not just coming and spending some time. It's, it's literally to, to glue together. It means to cleave, to have an, a, a close and intimate association with someone, to join oneself to. That's what he wanted. And we as believers, that's what we should all be doing. That's what we should all be involved in. That we should have a close association with one another. That is what Saul desired. And that is what we should all desire. But then we see these These well-meaning believers that obviously love the Lord, what do they do? They respond in complete fear. While, while Saul was searching for them, wanting to be glued together with them, what were they doing? They were giving him the stiff arm, saying, absolutely not. Why? Because they were afraid of him. No doubt they thought that this whole plan of Saul was indeed a diabolical, terrible plan. And what they thought is any moment now, once he gets into the church, he's going to turn on us. And so they allow this fear to, to rule them. But we see that Saul doesn't give up. H have you noticed yet in, in your Christian walk that people will let you down? It, it is a reality, but... but the Lord will never let us down. And we can trust Him entirely. So what is the problem with, with these believers regarding Saul? They cannot overcome their distrust of Him. And, and really, I, I'd say the way you could say it is they have a fear of man. They, they have a fear of Him that goes much deeper than just their fear of Saul. Because up to this point, it's been, remember, three years. And no doubt much news has already come talking about this man Saul. In fact, we see that next in the next verse when it, when it comes to Barnabas. There's no depiction that he actually saw Saul, that he actually spent time with Saul. It seems what he heard was the news. He heard the very same news that everybody else was hearing. And yet he responds differently. 
Because all the believers, except for Barnabas, they respond in fear. They limit God. And they say, oh no, yes God, you can do many things, but you can't do this. You certainly couldn't change this man like he, like everybody's saying he has been changed. So what we're going to do is we're just going to keep him out. And yet we see God in his goodness. What does he do? He sends along Barnabas. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he, Jesus Christ, had talked to him, Saul, and how at Damascus, he, Saul, had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. What is Barnabas doing? Barnabas is validating Saul's conversion. Barnabas is letting everyone know that his salvation is genuine. And haven't we seen Barnabas before? Think about who the Lord uses. He doesn't use a, a, a no-name. He uses someone that we saw earlier in Acts chapter 4. Before Ananias and Sapphira, there was Barnabas. And what did he do? He took some of his land and, and took the sale of that long land and got all the money and he gave it to the Lord and to the church. And now we see the same man who was so well respected. He now comes before the body. No, not the body. He comes before the apostles. Why? Because he's wise. He recognizes that if, if he can get the leadership on board, then everyone else will follow suit. And isn't it interesting that it says that all were in fear? I, I believe it's not just the believers. It's including the apostles. The apostles were stiff-arming him. The apostles were limiting God. Even the leadership of the church. As I said earlier, no doubt you've noticed people will let you down. No doubt you've noticed that, that church leadership is flawed. It is. We, we need the Lord. So you need to pray for the leadership of RBC. And if there are things that you have questions about, please come to us. As we seek the Lord together, just think about what would have happened if they hadn't listened to Barnabas. Or if Barnabas had decided, you know what, they're untouchable. They're not going to listen to me anyways, because I know the kind of guys that these are. But no, what does he do? He comes to them. And the suspicion of Saul was great. But what was greater? Barnabas' love. I, I believe Barnabas understood what 1 Corinthians 13, 8 teaches us. That love, what? It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. That's what Barnabas' life was characterized as. That kind of love. And as a result, it didn't matter what everybody else was saying. He knew that the Lord could do this. And so he trusted the Lord and he, and he goes and he takes hold of him. Literally, that really means he takes hold of him. He grabs him and he says, I don't care if you're scared or I don't, I don't know why he's taking hold of him. But he takes hold of him and he literally brings him to the apostles. And there he, he describes all that has happened to Saul. And he lets him know that, that just as the story has gone, that is indeed what happened. That the Lord Jesus did indeed appear to this man. That the Lord Jesus did indeed talk to this man. That he, Saul, saw the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he was radically converted. He was changed to such an extent that now he's going out even in Damascus. And he's speaking boldly about Jesus Christ. That means openly, fearlessly, knowing what could be the repercussions of preaching. But he did it anyways. Think of the welcoming that that Saul's received. Just early on in his Christian life, right? He's been in two cities and now he's been in two churches. In the first church in, in Damascus, the Lord sends Ananias, right? And the Lord has to encourage Ananias with, with, with a vision in order to get him over that point to where he's not going to let the fear rule him. Isn't it interesting when we see Jerusalem and we see Barnabas, we don't see any vision. Why is that? Because visions aren't the norm. Visions aren't something that happens in every case, in every chapter in the book of Acts. But we see two very important things that the Lord is teaching us. Two important aspects of a believer's life. One, that we should all be plugged into a local body. That we need to be part of the body of Christ in a local church. That's why Saul kept going after them continually. Seeking them out. Trying to associate with them. And we should also be as Barnabas was here and Ananias. We should be welcoming We should be welcoming those that have come to visit RBC for the first time. You know, we have a need for for people to, to help in this area. If you'd like to be involved in the welcoming ministry, write that on your card, along with your favorite color, like how he said. Please, and 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 then come and, and, and get involved. So we see clearly how important fellowship with other believers was for Saul. But, but there's more to him than that. It, he wasn't content to be with believers only. We see next, too, that, that he was only content if he was sharing Christ. Look at verse 28. And he was with them. Let me stop right there. Do, do you recognize the significance of what this is saying? Who, who does the them refer to? It refers to the believers, all the believers that were stiff-arming him, that were fearful of him, that were not having anything to do with him. Now, as a result of Barnabas, the body is open to him, and he is now enjoying fellowship with them. Never underestimate what the Lord wants to do in and through just you. Because it's not about you, it's about how great our God is. And and we see this. And He was with them. Man, how encouraging. Moving about freely in Jerusalem. That actually means coming in and out of the city. I believe this is depicting to us that that Saul wasn't just about going into the synagogues. He actually would, would go to the city gate and he would wait there. And then as new people would come, he'd let them know, Hey, you know what? I was wrong about Christ. I was wrong about Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Messiah. And then he'd also go into the synagogues. Speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. We see here that he he was only content if he was sharing Christ. If he was expressing himself freely, openly, and fearlessly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But doesn't this remind us of someone? 
Haven't we seen this depiction of someone else about speaking the Lord's name with boldness, proclaiming the gospel with boldness and confidence? Yes, we have. Already in the book of Acts several times. The life of Peter. If we were to go back and look at Acts chapter 2, verse 29, or in 4.13, we would see that Peter speaks with confidence and boldness to such an extent when he and John go before the Sanhedrin, what do they say? They say, we can't believe these men are speaking with this kind of boldness, with this kind of confidence. And then they remember, oh yes, they were with Christ. Even the church itself, later on, they they pray, right? They pray that they would be bold in their proclamation of the gospel. And and the Lord grants them that in Acts 4, 29 to 31. It's clear that this boldness comes only through the controlling and filling influence of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that, that he was in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And that he was allowing this controlling influence of the Holy Spirit to guide, lead, and direct him. So we see that, okay, yes, Saul was desiring fellowship. And he was only content when he was sharing Christ, which is complete opposite of you and I. You and I think, well, as, as long as I've shared Christ with one person over the last three months, I'm good. Then I'll get enough, yeah, points or, 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 or I'll get enough boldness that later I'll, I'll come and I'll share Christ with somebody again in the next three months. And so as long as, okay, that'll be my goal. For the next year, I'm going to share Christ with four people. No, what Saul is saying and what his life is, every day he's going to share Christ with someone. And Romans lets us know that if he didn't do that, he'd say, oh man, I'm ashamed of the gospel. I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. Man, what a challenge. But we also see that he wasn't going to let anything hold him back. As the, the third glimpse, the third snapshot into his spiritual life, which is so good for you and I to understand, is he kept going in spite of hardships. He didn't say, okay, yes, yes. You know what? I've tried three times for the, for the Jerusalem church to open their doors to me. But you know what? Now I'm done. No, he doesn't do that. He keeps going and going, even in spite of death and the consequences being as great as death. Look at verse 29. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. So he's talking to them, arguing, and what do they want to do? They want to kill him. Who does this remind you of? This, just as we saw that that earlier with the boldness in which he was preaching, reminded us of Peter. Now we see that he reminds us of Stephen. And to a certain extent, it's as if he has taken that, that baton from Stephen, the man who he killed. And he's now taking that baton and he's saying, okay, yes, I'm going to do the same thing you did. And I'm going to go to the same people you went to. I'm going to go to the same synagogue you went to. And as much as they hated Stephen, you know what? They hated Saul more. Why? Because he was one of them and now he is not. And so it makes sense that as he's what? He's not just preaching. He's talking and arguing. That means he's debating. He's disputing them. He's taking them back to the Scriptures. And he's saying, no, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Look at Isaiah 53. Look at this. Look at... And he's taking them back through the Scriptures. And they can't stand up to his debate. And so their only recourse is just like the recourse with Stephen. Let's kill him.
And you might be thinking, as I thought, well, how, how long has he been in Jerusalem? How long did this take Saul to, to rile these guys up to the point to where now they want to kill him? Probably several months, right? Maybe a year or two. No. Galatians 1.18 lets us know that the time that he was in Jerusalem was only 15 days. Just a little bit over two weeks and, and he got them so agitated that they wanted to kill him. Why? Because all that he was about was Christ. And I wonder if some of those who are so upset with him actually might have been his family members as well. Later on, as, as, as we will get to Acts 23, verse 16, we're going to see something very strange. We're going to see that, that Saul, who is, his other name is Paul, we're going to see that Paul's sister actually lives in Jerusalem. And that his sister's son, his own naf- nephew, hears about a plot against Paul. That some are going to kill him. Ambush him. And he lets the plot be known and, and Paul is saved. So we know that, at least as far as his sister's family goes, that, that they haven't turned on Saul. But I wonder, because if his sister's there, that possibly some other family members are there. And perhaps they're not too happy with, with Saul either. And that they had similar thoughts as all these other Hellenistic Jews. And they wanted to kill Saul. But we see that even in this, that the Lord goes before him, right? And the body helps. Look at verse 30. But when the brethren learned of it, of what? Of this plan that they wanted to kill Saul, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. Notice here the love of the body. Did they have to do this? What's contained in this isn't just that they learned of it, that, that the idea that they brought him is the idea that some of them must have accompanied him. They took care for him. They looked after him. The trials and the struggles that he was going through were trials and struggles that they were going through. Why? Because they are one body. That is the church. That is RBC. That is the way that we should function, one with one another. Your burdens, my burdens. My burdens, your burdens. And that we look after one another. That is what's happening here. And so what do they do? They take him to Caesarea. A city named from in honor of Augustus Caesar. Very important city. Right on the sea, right on the coast. And it was located some 65 miles away, so this would have taken them a while to get there. But we see that isn't the ending city that they wanted to come to. We we see that they come to Caesarea, and then they get on a boat and they take him to Tarsus. And you'll remember, Tarsus is his home. That's where he was born. He's from Tarsus. And the Lord takes him back there. Why? Because at this time, it was a great intellectual city in the Roman Empire. And I believe the Lord brought him back there to further prepare him for his ministry to the Gentiles. And isn't it encouraging to see that just as the believers came to Saul's aid in Damascus, now we see the believers here in Jerusalem coming to Saul's aid. 
And yet, if you think about personalities, I, I would think that Saul's personality would be a type A personality. Once he gets his mind set on something, it's very difficult to get him off that track. And yet, he seems to leave Jerusalem quite quickly and decidedly. And well, the reason is, is because there's more to this picture than what's presented to us. Turn to Acts 22. And let me fill in a little bit of the storyline here. Acts Chapter 22, verses 17 to 21. As we're told a little bit more. Acts 22, 17 to 21. Again, this is Saul speaking. Basically, when you get to chapter 13 in Acts... His name now is referred to Paul. You, you don't think of him like you, like you would Abram becoming Abraham, that God changes his name. No, Saul's name has always been Saul and Paul. He's always had two names. Just as the tribal people that we worked with in Papua New Guinea had their own tribal name that was usually in the Siawi talk place, which was really hard to say. And then they had like a Catholic name. Yaniwi, which means dirty water. His name, as far as English goes, is Simeon. Well, it's the same with Paul. His name in the Greek is Paul. His name in Hebrew is Saul. And so once we get to the point to where God has now made it clear, okay, what you are is you are now going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. From that point on in Luke's account, he only refers to him as Paul. Not because his name changed. He's always had this name. It's because his ministry is now only towards those people, even though he keeps ministering to the Jewish people. So so look at what he says. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple. So we see that he was still praying. Again, one of the tenets of his faith. Once he was saved, this is all that he did. He continually prays that I fell into a trance. And I saw him, Jesus, saying to me, make haste. And get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. Almost sounds like Paul is trying to talk the Lord out of it. Oh, wait, they know. It's okay. This will work out okay. And look at what the Lord Jesus says. And he said to him, go. For I will send you far away to the Gentiles. You see, Saul didn't get it. He thought he was going to minister to the Jews. And Jesus says, no. That isn't what I have for you. That is not what I'm preparing you for. I have something entirely different in mind. And he lets him know through this vision. And that's what encourages Saul to say, okay, yes, I'll leave. I think if the Lord hadn't spoke to him like that, Saul probably would have stayed in Jerusalem and been martyred. And so the Lord knows much better than Saul does, as the Lord knows much better than you and I do, what his plans are for us. Most scholars believe that once we get to this point, verse 30, and Saul is now in Tarsus, that he is not brought back into ministry for 10 years. We're not going to see Saul again until we get to Acts 11, 25 and 26. And then we're going to see Barnabas again too. You see, Barnabas goes to Antioch and he finds that, yes, they have been saved. And so then he goes back to 
Tarsus and he gets Saul and he takes Saul back with him to Antioch. And there they preach the word together for a year, growing up the body there. And this is even before they go on their first missionary journey, which happens probably 13 years after verse 30. So you might be asking yourself, as I did, why would Christ want to wait so long? Come on, let's get busy now, Lord. And maybe you're, you're like that at times. Man, when we went to Papua New Guinea, please give me the language now. I don't want somebody to die while I'm learning this language. And you know what happened? Somebody did die before we had the language. Some things are out of our control. Lots of things that are out of our control. What we don't understand is God's perspective is better. God's plan is better. So what was he doing? He was waiting in order to prepare Saul for what he had for him. He was preparing Saul for his work as the Apostle Paul, as the missionary of all missionaries. I'm sure this wasn't easy for Saul, but this was needful. And for you and I, at times it's painful for us to wait on the Lord, but we must wait. Why? Because His plans are better than our plans. And remember, the Lord knows what He's doing. This is so clear in in His life. Look at this. The Lord's already been preparing Saul for what he has for him. Does Saul know he's going to become a missionary? Probably not. But the Lord knows, and look at what he's done. Okay, first we see him where? In Jerusalem. Because that's where he's from. That's, That's where his basic home now is. And even as an unsaved man in verses 1 and 2, the Lord uses him in Jerusalem and pulls him out of there. Yes, even... The terrible things that Saul was doing in Jerusalem was preparing Saul for what he would do later. And and then what do we see next? Well, then he goes to Damascus. And he obviously thinks this is going to be a great plan. The Lord has an entirely different plan. And there he saves him on the road to Damascus. And then we learn from Galatians that he doesn't stay in Damascus, but he goes to this place, Arabia. Don't think Saudi Arabia. Not the same place. This is Arabia close to Mount Sinai. And while he's there for these three years, the Lord speaks to him, gives him the gospel. The Lord encourages him. And and as I said last week, no doubt he also was giving the gospel. Because the Arabians get mad at him. And when he goes back to Damascus a second time, not only are, are the Jews wanting to kill him, but the Arabians are wanting to kill him. And yet what happens? The Lord rescues him through a very humble means. That this gifted man that would become the missionary of all missionaries, he has the start that just seems so lowly. He gets saved by getting in a basket lowered. Who would want that? And what does the Lord do then? He, he brings him here to Jerusalem, which is what we've been looking at. And there he preaches the word to such an extent that then he has to leave and the believers take him to Caesarea. And from there, finally, to Tarsus. This is all training. This is all preparation for what the Lord has for Saul in the future. And no doubt, even though Luke doesn't reveal to us what Saul does in Tarsus, this is his makeup. There's no way that I I don't think Saul couldn't have preached the gospel when he was in Tarsus. But with Saul out of the picture, with Saul out of Jerusalem, it's not surprising to see that peace comes upon the church next. And that's what we see, finally. The final snapshot of the spiritual life of Saul reveals that he was constantly 
growing. Just as the church here was growing, look at verse 31 and we'll close with this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Interestingly enough, the word there for church is not in the plural. It's not talking about a whole bunch of local churches all over in Judea and Galilee and Samaria. It's talking about one church. It's talking about the universal church, the church that Christ is building. And then we see these five characteristics mentioned about this church. First, that it it was experiencing peace. Why? Because Saul was no longer doing what he was doing. Also because of what was happening in Rome. That Pilate was taken out of office. King Agrippa's authority was spreading. And as such, he kind of put his thumb on the Jews. And the Jews didn't have the freedom that they had earlier, even with Stephen. And so as a result, peace comes in. But, but I think the biggest reason is because this man Saul was now converted. And without a main leader pushing everything, it falls back. So what, what do we walk away with? Well, I would say what we walk away with above all is that we, we should expect God to do more than we really expect Him to do. That, that's what this church was like in the beginning, right? They allowed their fear to control them. And so many times we do the same thing. We need to expect God to do more than we ever think is imaginable. And all that we do Let me close with this. Consider how Barnabas chose not to let the fear of man control him, but rather he showed great discernment and faith in presenting Saul to the apostles. How might fear of man be creeping into your life? Ask the Lord to give you greater discernment and faith in areas where you're prone to let fear rule you. This is something that we need help with from the Lord. As at times it's hard to discern when fear is ruling you instead of faith. And in the case of the early church here in Jerusalem, this fear was leading them, was guiding them instead of trusting the Lord. Number two, consider how as Christ was working in Saul, causing him to grow, he was also working in his church throughout Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. He was building up the church, causing it to walk in the fear of him and enjoy the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe the Lord is building you up to walk more closely with him and know the comfort of the Holy Spirit? And how does your spiritual growth and walk affect others here at RBC? Because that is what the Lord wants to do. He wants to do a work in you so that He can use you in the lives of others. Let me close our time. Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the testimony of Saul. Help us to follow the pattern that he sets here so early on in his Christian life. Help us to be committed to the church and to fellowship. Help us to only be content if we are preaching you and sharing you with others. Help us to keep going no matter what happens, no matter what kind of suffering happens and befalls us. And allow us to continue to grow and grow more and more into the image of your Son by your wonderful grace as we go out from here this morning. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. 
It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.